Welcome, everyone. The second episode of our series on FX rules changes in 2023 zeroes in on Brexit, equivalence, and cross-border trading. I'm Mike Cahill, head of video and podcast content production for sales enablement at the London Stock Exchange Group. And our guest again is Chris Leonard Appleton, head of FX risk and regulation. So uh, we touched on these topics in a kind of a high-level general sense in the first episode. Um, in more detail now, Chris, how are these three topics, Brexit, equivalence, and cross-border training, impacting FX? Well, I think we probably need to just go back in history to sort of explain the story, right? So if you if you go back to 2013 and just prior to the implementation of Dodd-Frank and the introduction of the CEF regime, generally speaking, what we saw is pretty much all execution of FX, certainly on venues, occurred out of London. So you had global markets that came to London pretty much effectively. It's simplistic, but that's what we had. Dodd-Frank started the process of breaking all of that up. So in the NDFs and the options market and FX, the introduction of the CEF regime meant that we had to require US persons to trade those instruments on the CEF. Um, MIFID then really cemented the MTF regime in Europe and the UK. So we then had to further fragment things in Europe with the introduction of the, what was the Refinitiv MTF at the time. So we then had to figure out how to split trading between the CEF and the MTF. At the same time, we then introduced the market in Singapore, in Asia. So we actually had a three-way split at that point. So what, what in 2013 had been one big homogenous pool, by 2018 had been split three ways. Um, and then since then, we've then had Brexit, um, which has compounded things further. So we, we had to do a bit of a legal restructure for that. And then we're, we're continuing to have to do that with the temporary permission regime. Um, and then we've had developments in Asia. So in India, we've had to spin up a local market for IAR, which is very much an onshore deliverable market there now in the swap space. Um, in Indonesia, Malaysia and Thailand, we've done the same thing. And we're seeing evolving rules in China that might require us to do the same as well. So, you know, if we if we go back to the days of MIFID, you know, equivalence got touted as a way of trying to stitch all these fragmented markets back together again. And actually, the net result of that has been not a lot, really. And that's because of the way that equivalence was written, um, certainly in Europe. So Europe equivalence is not an exemption regime in the same way that it is in the US. So while everybody thinks that equivalence may be a silver bullet to bringing fragmented markets back together again, the result has actually been completely the opposite. Markets are fragmenting more and more as time goes by. And you know, developments such as Brexit have just really compounded that. So how has LSEG responded in the last few years to all these developments? Yeah, so as I say, we've we've made a profession of, of spinning up new trading venues in different jurisdictions where we've had to do it. And you know, looking forward with our FXI program, which is the program where we're replatforming our technology onto the LSEG Millennium technology. Um, one of our key design tenants of that system has been to enable the spinning up of local markets in a far more efficient manner than our current technology enables us to. But I, I would certainly say that a lot of the, um, you know, the effort that we've put into maintaining our markets over the last few years has really been in response to um, you know, 
regulators uh, erecting these sort of barriers around their own markets in in a market where that just doesn't work as i said on the last podcast or, or the last episode um the minute you trade euro dollar you're touching two jurisdictions so you can't put a wall up between that it just it simply doesn't work so you know the net result is you know end users are really getting affected by you know the increasing complexity here are there any jurisdictions that are causing particular concern chris well, I've mentioned Brexit a number of occasions, so you can probably tell my political leanings. Um, that's that's a personal view, not Celtic's view, by the way. Um, yeah, I think the UK and the EU are particularly problematic, but the the reason for that is just their scale. Yeah, they're, they're vast markets. We've got to get it right, and anything that causes complications in those markets just it it, it affects more clients um, than it would in other jurisdictions. So those two jurisdictions are problematic for us just because of their scale. Um, but, you know, if we then look at Asia, I think, you know, India is obviously a vast market as well. You know, there's an awful lot of clients there. It's a very important currency pair. You know, onshoring in markets like you know, those sort of Asian giants is particularly problematic for us as well. Because, you know, we need to ensure that insofar as possible, you know, local clients can continue to access international capital. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing our bit to uh, think global but act local. But it's, uh, you know, hopefully it's turning into a USP, but it's not easy. It, it seems, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but but Brexit in particular seems to have a real big impact on on cross-border trading because there's all this all these new rules and regulations, you know, with the UK being now separate from the EU. It would seem that it's causing tremendous amounts of upheaval. Yeah, well, I mean, if we look at what Brexit achieved in the, well, it caused in the FX market, you effectively had a severance between buy-side fundamental liquidity in the EU, which is really where most of the clients are located on the on what we would call the liquidity taker side, um, from sell-side liquidity, which was located in London. So, you know, pretty much overnight, you erected a wall between those two bits. So, you know, it's been problematic for the banks because the banks have obviously had to replicate operations in the EU to continue providing liquidity to their clients in the EU. Um, and it's been a challenge for us because we've, have, we've, well, the net result is we're going to have to replicate the regulatory infrastructure that we moved to the EU in response to Brexit um, in the UK as well. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do what we have to do, but it's the minute you start duplicating different rules, um, you increase the operational complexity and to some degree the operational risk around that. You know, that's just something that we have to manage as part of our BAU. Um, but certainly if I think back to the passporting days when uh, you, know, you, you had a seamless provision of services from one EU member state into another EU member state and one of the most important jurisdictions for that was obviously the UK, uh, things were quite naturally quite simpler. You know, earlier in this episode, you you spent a little bit talking about equivalence and equivalence regimes. Have there been any unintended consequences from what's taking place in the world of equivalence? I think there have. I think the the issue with equivalence is one of expectation. So um, the U.S. equivalence regime is quite a sensible regime. It relies on deference to home state regulators. It's an exemption regime, which means that effectively a venue. Uh, authorized in Ireland or the Netherlands or in or even in the UK will be recognized by the CFTC as applying robust rules that are analogous to US rules 
and therefore the venue in that jurisdiction will be exempt from CEF registration in the US. So it's a sensible regime. Um, the EU regime is very different. It's not an exemption regime. It's just it's germane to the trading obligation in derivatives. But all it says is if you have a CEF that is deemed equivalent by ESMA, then a European bank can trade on it to meet its obligations under, under the trading obligation in the EU. But what it doesn't confer is the ability for the CEF to operate in the EU. So it's a it's sort of quite one sided in that regard. Um, I think it's been misread and misinterpreted a lot. I think a lot of people see it as replacing licensing in the EU. It, it simply doesn't do that. And that's caused, dare I say it, say it a bit of one way traffic between the two jurisdictions. Um, and then, you know, in places like Singapore, you know, they've, they've been far closer to implementing things like the US regime. So, yeah, I think really, you know, the UK has an opportunity here um, to implement a regime as part of its rewrite of the Aquis in the UK to do something more analogous to the US. Um, I suspect that politics may militate against that, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I think the US equivalence regime is probably the model to uphold at the moment. Thanks again to Chris Leonard Appleton. I'm Mike Cahill, and thanks for listening.